0: Amidst the sometimes noisy, polarizing national debate about education reform, there is emerging a movement in public schools across the nation to put into practice a model of education that has been championed for nearly a century. Whole child education. Built on the foundational efforts of progressive education reformers, most notably John Dewey's work in the early 1900s, and more recently by leading educational associations like ASCD, Whole Child Education is an approach to education rooted in the almost shockingly obvious notion that the whole education system should have at its absolute center, the child. Former Superintendent Jonathan Raymond, now president of the Stewart Foundation, decided to put this century-old model into action in his large urban school district in Sacramento. After nearly five years of putting whole child education into action, Raymond and his team raised test scores and graduation rates and turned around schools that had been considered failing. In the process, he and his colleagues also took heat for disrupting an entrenched system, which he shares quite candidly in his new book wild flowers, a school superintendent's challenge to America. Welcome to Mud Boots. My name is Paul Reynolds, host of the Mud Boots podcast. And over the first six episodes, we'll be speaking with Jonathan Raymond and other whole child champions about their success stories with practical advice about what it will take to cultivate the optimal conditions where every child will flourish and bloom like the wildflowers that they are. Whole child education has been around since the days of Dewey, but do we know what it really means? Put on your mud boots, and let's go explore.
1: Mud boots is brought to you by the Stewart Foundation. The Stewart Foundation is dedicated to improving the well-being and life outcomes for young people through education. To learn more, explore stewartfoundation.org.
0: So, I'm sitting here with Jonathan Raymond, president of the Stewart Foundation based in San Francisco and former superintendent of the Sacramento City Schools. Appropriately, we're recording from Fable Vision Studios here in Boston, high atop the Boston Children's Museum. And the focus of the podcast today is very much about children at the center of the education system. It also happens to be Jonathan Raymond's birthday. So, uh, happy birthday, Jonathan.
1: Thank you, Paul.
0: For some people listening to this podcast, whole child education is actually gonna be a new term. At some point along your journey, it hit your radar. And it might be interesting to hear maybe how it hit your radar and how how would you explain it to the layperson who scratches their head when they hear this term?
1: When people ask me, how would you talk about, what is whole child education? I remind them of the way the Maasai warriors greet people every day. Their first greeting is, "How are the children?" And I love that because it really puts it all into context. Very That's simply, great. when you think of the child, you think of a child that has a has a head. Uh, they have a heart. They have hands. They have many things. But whole child education really focuses on how do we how do we educate and develop ch- children fully, holistically. How do we help to fill their, their minds with knowledge and curiosity and a love of learning? How do we fill their, their hands and give them an opportunity to experience learning, to, to feel, to touch, to, to literally dig in the dirt? And how do we fill their hearts with, with compassion, with empathy, with understanding, with love? That's what Whole Child Education really focuses in on, and it's not something new, right? The whole child education has been around for decades. Really, as I as I say it, it stands on the shoulders of progressive educators like first John Dewey and then later Maria Montessori and Rudolf Steiner.
0: The uh, that notion—it's something that we've known for a long time that it, that it's worked. Dewey Dewey did talk about it and championed this different approach to. Um, education in that progressive era. Uh, there were even studies, like you mentioned in your book, The Wildflowers, the eight-year study, which I think a l- lot of people probably have never heard of, but it was a study to take a look at this this approach to see, is there a difference? And it turns out there, there was evidence to show there was.
1: Le- learning, when you boil it down, Paul, is both social and emotional. And what I mean by social, and I, what the progressive educators meant by social, is that it's you know, children come from families. They come from neighborhoods. They come from communities. And really, education is about uh, harnessing and unleashing the power and the resources that a family, a neighborhood, and a community has. They come from someplace with with, with a history, with culture, with relationships, with certain understandings. And that's important context when you're educating children. And then um, emotional, meaning children will learn what they're excited about, what they're passionate about, what they're interested and curious about. And so when you, when you unlock that and when you unleash it, when you, when you harness the resources that a community brings, and when you can find ways to find children's passion and excitement about learning, the sky's the limit.
0: And it, you know, when you talk about that, it, it sounds aspirational and it sounds like a romantic notion. It is good to keep reminding people that there actually there is an evidence base for this. And it was interesting that the eight-year study was done in the 1930s. And the, the outcome um, actually was, was solid evidence that this approach was effective. But, um, but we lost hold of it. And that was an interesting piece in the book, too, that I think you're talking about in World War I, that that was when it got derailed. And somehow we, we lost the, uh, the philosophy and the practice.
1: With, with the advent of the industrial Revolution, right the ability to mechanize and to sort of remove the, the customization, mm-hmm. um, but to have have processes and, and and systems where things were created into a, a routine and really mechanized, right Where we wanted people who could do, maybe not necessarily think, mm-hmm. um, to be able to mass mass produce, to repeat tasks over and over and over again. Um, I think changed the way we started to think about how are we going to educate and prepare a workforce mm-hmm. that could do these repetitive tasks over and over again. But I do want to come back to a, a question you asked a little sure. bit earlier. When did this when did this come about for me? Right. And um, it's funny that it's my birthday uh, and also that uh, the book is called Wildflowers because first of all, I'm a wildflower, mm. meaning that I learn differently. And it wasn't until I entered my sixth grade having been uh, diagnosed potentially with a learning disability. And um, fortunately, my mother, who had been trained as a teacher, uh, had me tested at the time. And this is, this is way back in the 70s. And after two days of testing uh, by a psychologist, uh, he came back and said, look, there's nothing wrong with young Johnny. Young Johnny's just bored. Young Johnny has shut down. He needs to be pushed. He needs to be challenged. And I land in my first class which was a geography class. And I talk about this in the book that I thought geography was the study of rocks. Well, little did I know that the study of geography was gonna launch me on, I think, a lifetime love of, of, of discovering the world, mm. of traveling, of history. Mm. I didn't even own a passport till I was in my 20s, but I had already traveled the world through my studies, through Harry Boyajan's geography classroom, which was filled with maps. Mm. And every day I walked into that classroom was another, was another journey. And after three days in his class, I had to take a test. And that day that he came around with the papers in his hand, and he stopped at my desk, I was terrified. And as he looked at me, he started to shake his head. And he said, young Raymond, he said, I felt sorry for you because you weren't even in my class a week and you had to take a test. Mm. And then he put his hand on my shoulder and he handed me back my test. It had a red 73 on it. Mm. But he said, what a job you did. Even you knew where Mesopotamia was. And he made me feel like I had a 93. Mm. And it was the first time I had ever felt that, you know, somebody believes in me. And later on, when I was superintendent in Sacramento, I went to visit our Waldorf school. Mm. And as I talk about in the book, When I visited that school and I was on a 45 minute visiting three schools a day in my first 100 days, my big forced march to visit all the schools Mm -hmm. and facilities in Sacramento, I got derailed when I came to the Waldorf School because I stayed two and a half hours because it just looked differently, it smelled, it sounded differently. And not surprisingly, one of the first things I saw were mud boots outside Mm. of children's (laughs) classrooms because they spent time in the garden. They spent time planting, digging, harvesting, playing outdoors um, as part of their learning. And I visited every classroom and where I saw children excited about their work, adults helping to guide and facilitate parents and families and community members on that campus. I knew there was something different to this. And that's where I learned this understanding of head, heart, and hands.
0: How transformational it is, and I mean, it, it's wonderful that you shared your personal story because this is personal for you, and that that somebody believed in you. And I think that's a sign of a great educator, somebody who believes in you before you even believe in yourself. Yes, I had underlined this that um, in the book that you show how valuable and necessary it is for public schools to treat education as a service to the entire community, not just its youth. It's such a, it's a simple and radical idea, like, yikes, why didn't why didn't we think of that? That was just one of many innovations that you harvested, right, from the, from the community.
1: I share a story in Wildflowers, that in the, my early days, I would go out into neighborhoods on weekends to get a better sense of this community that I was now ha- helping helping to steer. And I would drive and walk past homes with chain-linked and linked fences and barking dogs. And I'd look across the street and the only green space in many of these neighborhoods were our schools, were these playgrounds, but they were all locked and chained, right? Mm. It's as if we had a big sign that said close for business. Mm. And when you're part of a community and when you have resources, you need to be open for business. And so we removed the locks. We asked our schools to welcome families and parents and community members in. And that fall I remember going by John Sloat Elementary. A neighbor who was in this school at the time said, you know, I've lived across the street for over 30 years. And this is the first time I've ever been invited into this school. Mm. So we asked all of our schools, create, find a space to create a parent resource room Mm. that parents can be can have as their own, mm. where they, can, they could have a computer, they could have classes, they could even have coffee or whatever they wanted to do. We're part of a community, we've got a responsibility. Right. And let's right. open up so we can begin to harness the resources that that community and neighborhood offers.
0: Right, That's what I think is uh, just so valuable about the book Wildflowers. This is your, your testament manifesto to say, hey, look, I, I, I believe in it, I, this was my story. I actually had the opportunity to to put it into practice, and a very transparent book. I mean you you talk about the struggles that it there sometimes when you innovate in a system like that, there are unintended consequences right yeah
1: so when, when you when you commit to it, right, when you commit to start to think differently and you put children at the center and start asking that basic question you know how, how are the children? Mm-hmm. Um, what do they need? Um, what do we need to do to ensure that he or she learns mm-hmm. uh, and gets what they need. When you start asking those kinds of questions, you start to realize, wow, I need to think systemically, right? right. I wanted to show our community and our state and the country that um, when you gave the appropriate resources to our most neediest children, mm-hmm. uh, that they could learn to the highest levels, just like any other child and so we chose a handful of schools and we put our best leaders in those schools we gave them the freedom to build their teaching teams we gave them some extra resources we did little things like we cleaned the schools mm-hmm. some of them hadn't been clean and painted in over 40 years mm-hmm. we brought them up to code we landscaped them and we gave them some extra resources based upon what they thought that they needed mm-hmm. some schools uh, that didn't get these extra resources that weren't priority schools said, hey, why are you taking our money and giving our money to those schools? We had some members of the of the, of the community trying to remind me that I was the superintendent for all kids, not just poor kids. Mm. And one of the unintended consequences that we found was as we were taking our high performing principals and moving them to our lowest performing schools, um, we didn't have enough principals to re- to replace them. Mm.
0: The first time that there's a budget scare, music and art programs disappear, and the uh, they're considered extras, whereas you see them as absolutely the core and the center, right? That That's the driver right. of curiosity and, mm-hmm. and engagement.
1: I talk about some of that absurdity uh, of No Child Left Behind and mm-hmm. this notion of giving these schools school improvement grants for two or three years. I was right. visiting the, the Jeremiah Burke High School in, in Boston while I was superintendent in Sacramento, mm-hmm. and... The day I visited, the principal was just beside herself. There was mm-hmm. something gnawing at her, and I and I said, "What's going on? What yeah. What are you so stressed about?" I know that I know this is hard work, and you can't close your door every day. Principals have really hard jobs, by the way. Yeah. She said, "You know, we're gonna we're doing well. We're we're starting to turn the corner. Right. I've got City Year here helping me with near peer mentoring. I've got um, some other partners in here helping with the, our academic work and giving our students the social supports that they need." But i'm going to that grant's going to go away in a year, right. and I, And I don't know what I'm going to do mm. because these aren't extras. these aren't frills. These aren't nice to haves. Right. It's what's required when you're educating children that come from poverty. Right. And that's the part of the work that I really want to underscore, mm. which which is whole child education is really about figuring out, right? It's about asking those different questions. what do our what do our young people need? if we're serious about preparing them to be contributing members of our, of our society, right. of being part of, of this democracy, of helping to advance humanity, then are we really preparing them, right? Are, are we giving them the tools that they need to be thoughtful and creative thinkers? Are we giving right. them the experiences that they need to understand, how, how is what I'm learning make a difference? Right. And it's not about them making a difference later, but about how, how do we apply that learning and knowledge now, right. and then giving them a sense of understanding about the world, about that that you know, learning differently is natural, that differences are good, that arguing is is healthy. It's what our country was built and is based upon. Right. But arguing with an understanding of what it's like to walk in somebody else's shoes. Right. But I want to get back to a question that that you asked about this work being hard. It is hard. Right. And I tell superintendents and aspiring superintendents all the time that if you're serious and committed to whole child education, mm-hmm. it will change you. Right. And it needs to change you because you need to start thinking differently. Mm-hmm. First, it's about a set of values and beliefs. Do we believe in the potential of every child or not? Right? We can never, ever, ever give up on one child. Right. Right. That's a belief system. Right. And you need to have that belief system and you need to cultivate that belief system. i didn't come to sacramento to green schools or to necessarily change the way and what children ate mm-hmm. but when your kids come home and say hey dad guess what they served corn dogs for breakfast right. you suddenly realize that when <laughs> 3 quarters of your children come from families that live at or in poverty mm-hmm. that what we feed them in school is pretty much what they eat right so right. that really matters right and and it gets back to that question. What does he or she need in order to really flourish? Right. And when you have that opportunity, that moment, then you can act. Right.
0: And the school bell rings and the first class starts. That child sitting there is not just a brain to fill up with knowledge. Um, They have journeyed there, struggled maybe with transportation. Maybe they didn't eat, um, a good meal or anything uh, there. We don't know what their, their, their background is, what kind of environment they're living in, what kind of stresses they are under, but that child sitting in that seat uh, has, has a whole set of other attributes other than just an academic, academic brain to uh, you know absorb required content for the day.
1: And having that sense of understanding, I call it empathy. Mm-hmm. is really where this work needs to start. Right. But it can't simply stay there. It's right. got to be about action. Right. What are we going to do? What right. are what are we, we going to do about it, right? Yeah. It's not about equal treatment, everybody gets the same. Right. But it's about it's about equal consideration. Right. That gets back to that central question. Right. What is he or she or she most need?
0: Right. So Somebody's listening to the this podcast, and with any luck, we've kept their attention and uh, they feel the urgency of of embracing whole child education, but maybe they're new to it. and And again, we know that there are people out there who are who have been practicing it for decades and are proof points that it's possible. But if you're brand new at this and you're looking to start it in your community, what do you have any practical advice? for somebody setting out on this adventure that you have undertaken?
1: Just start. You can start anywhere. Mm -hmm. You can start by making your playgrounds accessible to all children. Mm -hmm. You can start by greeting children and families authentically when they drop off for school every day. Mm -hmm. And through that quick greeting and that quick gesture every child gets a customized greeting you know maybe Mm -hmm. it's a handshake a high five a a look in the eye a good morning paul even even a hug we get a sense of of how is paul today Mm -hmm. and and if if there's something up with paul we could have our health staff our counseling staff our nutrition staff right inside the building to um, intercept paul so to speak on his way in to say hey paul you know, what's happening today? Maybe Paul hasn't eaten since he got out of school yesterday right. and right. Paul needs a nice, healthy breakfast. Right. These are opportunities and things that we can start. Right. Can we get teachers more involved in helping to create the conditions that we want in our schools? Can we right. train and prepare them to do home home visits? Uh, can we start to have a network of schools and school leaders that are working and sharing together and learning together and right. visiting each other's schools and each other's classrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we open up those schools and have a parent resource center or simply removing some of the fences and taking down the locks? Right. In other words, start someplace. Right. You don't have to get it all at once. Mm-hmm. But when you start with the premise of of I believe in kids, right. we're gonna put them at this the center of all of our decision-making. Right. Uh, and when right. we give them voice, and choice and presence, you know, things will, start to, things will start to happen. The answers lie in the community right. if we're willing to listen mm-hmm. and take the time. Right. And the moment is now. Right. And so for the adults that are in the system, no matter what, what place or level you're in the system, our job is to help to create those conditions. Right. So the important word is action. Right. right? Whole child and equity. Are not nouns, they're verbs mm, that's great that's great. that's wonderful.
0: I think we're coming to the to a landing place here in our first episode of Mud Boots and I just want to thank Jonathan Raymond, President of Stewart Foundation and author of Wildflowers: A School Superintendent's Challenge to America. It's a great book as we wrap up is there any any last words of you know advice inspiration?
1: I can't think of a better way to spend my birthday, Paul, uh, talking about children and whole child education. And back to that question, the Maasai greeting, and how are the children? How are the children? And if we do this work well, we get to the answer. Mm. All the children are well.
0: for listening to this first edition of Mud Boots. In the next episodes, we'll put on our mud boots and tromp into the fields of education practice to learn more about what whole child education is and how to implement it. We'll also be sharing success stories that are sprouting around the nation and world that are serving as proof points that whole child education can and does work to evolve our understanding of how to cause learning and better nourish and transform the young learners we serve. For more information about Jonathan Raymond's book, Wildflowers, a School Superintendent's Challenge to America, and other resources about whole child education, journey to www.wholechildchallenge.org. Where we invite you to share your stories. Until next time, thank you for listening to Mud Boots Mud Boots is a co-production of the Stewart Foundation and Fable Vision Studios.